turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 51. I am so thankful for your pastor. He is on a very short list of my best of friends on earth. I share a kindred spirit with your pastor when it comes to souls. His passion for Jesus is infectious, and I love him. I love his best parts, and I love his anomalies. He's a good man, and it's my joy to call him friend, and I'm thankful that he calls me his. My best friend on the planet, however, sits on the front row as well, my wife, Shireen. I'm so glad that she is able to travel with us. Uh, she is a co-laborer. She helps in serving Jesus abroad. Uh, not as abroad, but abroad. Um, Let's go into the altar. Um, <laughs> she uh, helps on every level. She's more functionally wise than I am. Uh, I am kind of the instrument of destruction. And she is the wisdom of application. So she decides which wall needs to come down and points. And then I go. And it's a wonderful, wonderful relationship. We've been married 20 years, and uh, it doesn't feel like any time at all. It's just an awesome thing to be married to somebody you like. If you're not happy, uh, well, <laughs> you know, people ought to use a lot of discretion when they choose their mate. I'm just going to say that. They ought to take the time to really make sure they like the person they're going to marry. And if you've already gotten married and you're not sure how you feel about the person, uh, well, pray about it. <laughs> and ask Jesus to give you wisdom and become friends. <laughs> we have a table in the foyer, foyer. I've watched too many of the home improvement shows. They talk about foyers. We're going to renovate the foyer. I'm so hick. I called it a foyer all my life. Most of the time I called it the front. I didn't know we were so fond of French. But anyway, we got a book out there uh, regarding my burn. We've got uh, also something that my daughter has done. Um, she is uh, an artiste. She loves Jesus. She loves Speed the Light. She loves missions. And so uh, she uh, drew something pretty special. She uh, took hymnal pages uh, and she put art on them in regard to the song themselves. So like the eye is on the sparrow, she drew a sparrow and painted it. You can check those out. But she's selling those for Speed the Light. The sales of those go to Speed the Light. And uh, she pledged $1,000. She's halfway there uh, by virtue of her art. She did the eyes on the sparrow. Um, she did amazing 
grace, and she did Be Thou My Vision. So if those hymns are special to you, I would encourage you to check those out. Uh, they're pretty neato. I really like the Amazing Grace one because of the story of the man who wrote it. Uh, but anyway, uh, check them out. We're done with all that. This morning, I want to talk to you about letting the Spirit remain. Lord, let the Spirit remain. I think that as a Pentecostal, we become comfortable in our Pentecostalism to think that the Spirit just hangs out here because we call ourselves Pentecostal. But I need to encourage you this morning that the Spirit is a gift. The Spirit is on loan from God for the point of advancing his kingdom through people who are ineffective without him. We cannot do the work of ministry without the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is no one in this room, myself included, that can save anybody. I do not have the power to save anyone. There's no one in this room that can heal anybody. You in and of yourself do not have the power to heal. There's no one in this room that has the foreknowledge of all things that are to come. Therefore, you cannot impart wisdom for the choices and the directives that are in front of us. No, friend, yet we are given the call to seek and to save that which was lost, to lay hands on the sick and see them to recover, and to spread wisdom in regard to the futures of men. How can we accomplish the ministry that we have been given to do when we ourselves are unable to do it? We must have the gift of the Holy Spirit working fluently in our life in order to be effective for the cause that was given to us by the Christ. We as Pentecostals think just because we walk through a door that says we believe in the Holy Spirit that somehow we are thereby entitled to Him. I rebuke such a thought as an emissary of the Lord. This is inappropriate. The Holy Spirit is an anointing that is placed upon a vessel that can carry it. The Holy Spirit is an anointing that is placed upon a vessel that can carry it. We do work overseas. A lot of our work is seeking and saving that which has been lost since time untold. In 2,000 years since Jesus came and laid his life down and rose again, no one has gone to the peoples that we visit in the bush countries of Africa and told them they can be saved. 2,000 years of births and deaths of Christians and believers, and no one has come to utter the name of Jesus in these places that we seek out on purpose. In that, in that way, you must understand why they've not been reached. If it were easy, somebody would have got there already. But we've got to work at it. We take in tents, we take in food, we take in water. There are so, more than I would like to go into. There are variables we must engage in order to go places that people haven't gone before. We utilize instruments that are 
unconventional. For instance, we go and we take motorbikes and we go into places there are not roads. Now these tools are very effective and so as a result we try to empower indigenous local ministers to have these items. So we buy a motorcycle. They're relatively inexpensive for a vehicle. We here in the States, we want a new truck. We go drop the, uh, the uh, agreement to pay for this $25,000, dollars $40,000 vehicle over the course of seven years or whatever. Over there, I can get a motorcycle, put it in the hands of somebody for around $1,200. That motorcycle will serve them for many years to go and take the gospel to places that are difficult to walk to. In this way, many of the pastors are able to preside over multiple campuses. So they'll have a service on a Saturday, a Sunday, a Monday, and a Tuesday, and those churches might be separated by 30 miles. That otherwise they could not carry out that circuit we give them a motorcycle so that they're able to accomplish the task. Now, this motorcycle would have already been utilized in going where no one's gone before to tell people about Jesus. And in this way, we propagate the gospel. I gave a motorcycle such as this to a young man named Isaac. And this young man decided he did not want to serve Jesus properly. After going through our tutelage of how to carry the message and how to carry yourself as a messenger, Isaac decided he wanted to be promiscuous and to have sexual relations as a man who was not married with someone who was not his spouse. In the effort of trying to recover him, counseling was offered, repentance was requested, but that sin remained. And so I went and I took back the motorcycle. I took it from him and I gave it to another minister who was functioning well. Because I could not support a man who would so misrepresent his people. I could not empower a man who squandered that power so thoroughly on himself. He utilized that instrument to go and have an inappropriate relationship when that instrument was meant to be used to connect people to a God relationship. Therefore, I removed the tool and I put it in the hands of someone more worthy. There's a scripture set I want to read to you and I pray this morning that you would be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I pray that this would not just be another church service. I pray that you would not come thinking you're only going to hear stories from a missionary of extraordinary things, although I could regale you with stories for hours. 
But I pray instead you're going to determine to be a better man or woman when you walk out that door than you were when you walked in. This is not a missions service. This service is about you. It's about you. I want you to say with me, this service is for me. And that's the spirit I want you. And I want you listening. I want you receiving. I want you understanding. To be not only hearers of the word, but listeners of the word. David had failed so miserably with Bathsheba. He, in the course of just a few days, committed murder, lying, and adultery. He had accomplished all that was necessary for a death sentence. A experience that would more appropriately be on Jerry Springer than in the news article. It was a catastrophe of character. The most ignorant and stupid decisions a man could make who called himself a believer. He recognized, and I need you to see this, he recognized that he jeopardized something with this condition. He jeopardized something very special. And I want you to hear the apex of his heart's cry. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in my inward part or integrity, purity, goodness. He wants us to adopt these things within and deny that which we began with, our flesh our sinful nature. Behold, you desire truth, goodness in my inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquities. Look here. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God. Renew the right spirit. A steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away. Here we come to the understanding of what has been risked. Do not cast me away from your presence. And take not. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. When I teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Now I want to focus pinpointedly on the principle of creating in us a clean heart that his spirit may not be taken away. Friend, I need you to understand that the Lord gives, and so the Lord can take. We become so presumptuous that what he has given, he will leave. As we ourselves become a cesspool of iniquity, Letting every form of wicked thing pass the filter of our eyes, our hands, our mind, to corrupt our hearts so thoroughly, believing that all of our wicked things will not in any way push out the presence of God. And think then that when we feel righteous or when we feel somewhat redeemed, we may call upon the Holy Spirit at leisure in order to utilize him as you would a screwdriver or a hammer that is benign and devoid of any sentient thought of its own. I must tell you, that's the furthest thing from the truth. God gives and God takes, number one. Job 121 says this, he summarizes our condition. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And this talks more about the condition of not having anything rather than it does about him being unclothed. He was devoid of any wealth, of any possessions, of anything at all when he came forth from his mother. The Lord gave... What is he talking about? He's talking about his clothing, his blessings, his children, his riches, all those things in life. And the Lord has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Understand that here the man is saying, I recognize what I have has come from God. I recognize that he is the giver of these things. I recognize, though, that he is God. He has authority over what is his. Therefore, were he to give, were he to take away, blessed be the Lord, it's all his anyway. I came naked, I'm going to leave in the same way. If I have anything, it's from God. This is the nature of clarity with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a gift that we might enjoy something we cannot otherwise possess. We in of ourselves are not good. 
We are given to evil, to do wrong, to turn away from God, to turn away from what is just, to turn away from what is good. It is the Holy Spirit that when he comes and takes a residence within us, he brings us to a place of experiencing these joyful fruits and wonderful divine manifestations. Authority belongs to the Lord. He it is who gave everything life, and everything exists. The scriptures tell us, by him and through him does all things exist. Shall we not then imagine that it is he who is still in control? Does he not say the plans of God will not be thwarted? Does he not say that it's all his Does the Father not possess all the cattle, no matter whose brand is on it? It's all His. All that exists belongs to God. And until we come to a place of recognizing His authority in regard to these things, we can become presumptuous of our own authority over the things that He has given. Become very possessive of this spirit that God has given, and thereby find ourselves not to be an agreeable place for the Spirit to remain. God is clear that He is not evil. We all agree on this. He says He does not do evil, that He is light and there's no darkness in Him at all, that He does not have fellowship with evil. We understand the dynamic of the Trinity even though we can't understand the mechanic. The dynamic is three persons, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Word, who later was manifested as man and became Jesus, known as the Son. We understand that these three portions of the Trinity are co-equal. They work together in unity, and they bear the same nature. They are each of them love They are each of them justice. The Holy Spirit then must be understood as good and pure. What in our mindset would make us to think that God is good and holy and pure and the Holy Spirit enjoys swimming in sewage? We uh, create a cesspool within our heart of our uh, iniquities, our sins, our wickednesses, and we expect the Holy Spirit to throw a pool party there at the rim of our sewage pond in our spirit. What a foolish notion. What an ignorance on our part. Friend, I tell you that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost... Is co-equal with the Father, is co-equal with the Word, and is pure as they are pure. Therefore, he cannot abide residing in wickedness. He will not reside in iniquity. What fellowship does darkness have with light? The scripture is very clear. It does not. And yet we have somehow come to believe that the Holy Spirit enjoys 
sharing our heart's bed with sin. I told you this morning it's for you. And I'm praying you are listening, not just hearing. I know your pastor, I know he loves Jesus, but I know he loves the Holy Spirit. I know that he likes the manifestations of the Spirit. And as a Pentecostal pastor, he wants to see more gifts in operation in church, not less. He would love to manage a genuine outpouring in this house where there are tongues, there are prophecies, there are words of wisdom, there are words of knowledge, there are healings, there are miracles. That would be his joy, to wade through that with you. In order for us to enjoy such things, the house must have a mindset of cleanliness. I am not preaching legalism because I'm not going to give you a set of laws that say if you will do this, then you will be appropriate as a place for the Holy Spirit to reside. I am instead going to tell you that we each of us are working our salvation out with fear and trembling. And the Holy Ghost is attached to a contrite and humble heart. And he is happy to walk with you through your recovery and displeased with the notion he must reside in your consistent wickedness. The Holy Spirit brings impossible gifts in the form of miracles, signs, wonders, and healings, manifestations of the divine. We read through the Holy Scriptures, and, and young people, are we not in awe when we read about the waters parting and heaping up? Do we not find ourselves excited to imagine a pillar of fire? I mean, I'm excited as long as it's not on me. I'm happy if it's beside me. I burned once, I'm good. I'm good. It was, a, it was an enlightening experience. <laughs> I told it last time, you've got to remember my cheesy jokes. I mean, are we not excited at the idea of, of seeing it all play out where Jesus saunters up to a, a tomb place, roll away the stone, but I'm sure he stinks, Jesus. Do it anyway. Lazarus, come forth. And to imagine somebody wrapped up in, in the garments of burial. <laughs> Sup. Dude, you don't smell bad. Is it right guard? No, I had the right guard. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, tell me, tell me it's not awesome. The Holy Spirit brings and he makes possible such things. By virtue of his presence in our presence, 
he brings with him. Guys, the power of God to shape and to move wonders, healings, manifestations. We become so possessive of these gifts. Put our name on them. And we don't see that this spirit, this friend, is a relationship that must be nurtured. But he's taken for granted like a wife you never talked to and you expect her to be there making you dinner every time you get back from work and one day you come home, she's gone, and you wonder why. Well, you took her for granted and didn't care about her when she was there. It's a relationship that's meant to be nurtured. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he brings forth product in our life that we otherwise cannot develop on our own. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. We become attached to these things. We love the feeling of peace and joy. But we fail to keep maintenance in place. In order that the one who brings them is happily dwelling in our house. We cannot become complacent or forget who he is and that he is part of the three that are over us. David understood this importance. He understood the importance of the Holy Spirit before the Holy Spirit could be known in fullness. Before there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Before there was a day of Pentecost. David understood that the Holy Spirit was so necessary for his functional success and his well-being. He said, take not! Thy Holy Spirit from me. It was a fear that he might lose his connection to this wonder. That drove him to repent of the wicked things he had done. In his foolishness. And it was grace and mercy he depended on. David understood the, the massive importance of the Holy Spirit. The importance of the Holy Spirit has been played out, not just in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit's interaction with the church didn't begin at Acts. The, the Holy Spirit's interaction with mankind, it didn't start right there in Acts. We see the Holy Spirit at work throughout the whole of the Scriptures. The Spirit was emphasized by Jesus. It's critically important. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. I love Jesus. I love talking about all things Jesus because Jesus was the example of God's love. He most clearly communicated God's love. But Jesus, who most clearly communicated God's love, was willing to leave so that we may have the Holy Spirit. He loved you so much, he was willing to die for you. And the Spirit was so important, he was willing to leave the ones he died for so they could have it. And we treat the Holy Spirit like a gimmick. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Ah, Jesus. Oh. Okay. 
I'm about to get irritated, Pastor. I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit work in us and through us, described in John as a promissory engagement from the time of his coming on concerning sin and righteousness and judgment and the wonderful things that he will do, the fact that the Holy Spirit is our answer to abandonment. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're not going to be without me, without my power, without my, my presence. But I'll give you the Holy Spirit. important. Even Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said, because he hath anointed me. This is Jesus, the Son of God, talking about the Spirit's interaction in his own work and ministry. I'm not going to get into whether he was filled or whether he was anointed or the mechanic of all of that. I'm simply going to tell you that Jesus worked with the Holy Spirit while he was in the form of man here on earth. Giving us an example of the way by which we may interact with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to send him to you. He dwelleth with you that he shall be in you. And then he told them to wait for it. Now here's the, the killer thing. Jesus seek and save that which is lost. That's the mission, right? The mission was seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came, he died. There is salvation by no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? It is by his shed blood and resurrection power that death and hell were defeated. And therefore, we lean upon his work at Calvary for our salvation. When God was very clear, he said, I don't want anybody to perish. I would that none perish. But check this out. Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, he rises again, tells the disciples, you are my messengers. And he tells them, after giving them the message of the gospel, wait. Could they have not reached somebody? Could that message not have gone out to someone during that time that they waited and prayed and prepared and saw God up into the day of Pentecost? Of course it could have. Of course it could have changed a life. But the Holy Spirit was so critically important Jesus said, wait, wait. We treat the Holy Spirit as a parlor trick, causing us to talk funny and impress our friends. But it is the Holy Spirit and its importance that Jesus attached our Christian living to. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit was present at the most significant moment in history. That the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters at creation. Do you know he also hovered over Mary when Jesus came? That would be a lovely study in and of itself. Looking at the correlations of birth. 
How that the Spirit was present at the birth of life in the world. And the Spirit was present for the beginning of life, for the vessel Jesus, the Son of God, would be. You think the Holy Spirit's not important. The Holy Spirit was there and filled the craftsmen with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. They depended on Him. In Exodus 31, in Numbers 11, 24, and 27, there was prophecy when the Holy Spirit came and uh, was attached to those who would help Moses. When Balaam was given a gift of, of a prophetic word, when Joshua was to replace Moses, and the list goes on with Samson and the judges being empowered by the Spirit. Then think of Elijah and Elisha. Those miracles were not done by their power. It wasn't done by their ability. It was accomplished by the Spirit of God. The most significant moment in Scripture with Ezekiel and the Chaldeans calling us by the Spirit of the Holy God. The Spirit of the Lord came upon those who were movers and shakers in human history. And the most significant points of interest in the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit was present for the moment. And we come together imagining that the Holy Spirit is some beaten down friend who's happy to live in the garbage can of our sinful heart. When he was there, when man was raised from the dust, when he hovered over the waters, when he oversaw the knitting together of the cells, that was Jesus the Christ. You are mistaken you think the Holy Spirit is one to be dismissed and not considered. Jesus said he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Not the Spirit was even on him. Even Jesus interacted. So the importance of the Spirit cannot be argued against. The importance of the Spirit cannot be set aside. Its valuation is, is not even a thing to be measured in gold. You could gather all the gold in all the earth and all of its physical value and it would not stand to one miracle that cannot be done in human ability. Gathering all the gold in the world, all of it, all the diamonds, every valuable thing there is, try and pay off cancer. Try and buy a few minutes more in the day that the sun might stand still. Gather every valuable thing, give it to one person and have them buy a pillar of fire that burns without fuel. I tell you what, have them buy one truth of a prophetic value of a thing that will take place. They can't. They can't. Yet, 
<laughs> Are you listening? The Holy Spirit brings all of this to the table for free. And he cannot be purchased. Not with physical things. The payment he asks for is a pure heart. The environment of our person impacts the presence of the Holy Ghost. The environment I have fish. It's about the only pet I can have. Everything else, I would get turned into PETA for abuse. I'm really sure. Because I'm not home. I travel all the time. I used to have a hedgehog. Hedgehogs are awesome. I named him Balin. It was after a dwarf in Lord of the Rings, right? Because my little hedgehog had an attitude. That's what I always thought dwarves were like they would have an attitude. And if I irritated him, he would just get mad. And he would bristle up. He would send his little spikes out. And they were uncomfortable. I used to put him in the top pocket of my shirts. And it, we were good. We were good until we weren't. We were good until we weren't. He would, I would do something and he would get angry or he just had an impure thought, and he got angry. <laughs> and he would bawl out, and all of these pricklers would go straight into my chest. And it was impossible to get him out of the pocket. <laughs> because he was just like a, a little burr. One of those little Christmas uh, ball things that fall from the tree that get stuck on everything. I couldn't get him out. Of, I'd have to take my shirt off, get him to calm down. Hey, buddy, it's okay. We're going to be okay. I need you to calm down. Calm down! <laughs> and I would eventually get him coaxed out of my pocket. This is truth. It's all truth. I would travel with him. He would ride in my pocket in the car. Nine-hour drive. Just checking it out. Dogs. Had some dogs. I love dogs, but you have to feed them. <laughs> and you can't just leave them at home. They don't know how to cook for themselves. And so we leave all the time. I couldn't have pets, but I have fish. Because fish are easy. I feed fish. A few days later, I can feed them again, and they're happy to see me. They're not mad. They're not like... I can't believe you forgot me for three days. They're like, I'm happy to get food. How nice of you to bring me a meal. Fish are cool. If only we could be like fish. <laughs> but I've had a few problems. If the environment of my fish tank changes and becomes too acidic, or there's too much ammonia, or there's too much salt, the fish become unhealthy. They can't live in a tank that's not properly aligned to what they require 
They can't live there. They're going to die. So I have to take measurements of the water. I have to change the water regularly. I have to change filters to make sure the environment stays good for them to be healthy. Why would we imagine that our life in Christ would be any different? That our spirits should not be checked, measured, our filters changed and improved in order that the presence of God might thrive alongside us and not withdraw. Say, brother, I think you're being just a little bit extreme. First Samuel 15, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me has not performed my commandments. He grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying Saul went to Carmel. And indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Samuel went to Saul and he said, Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You've got to clear your throat sometimes. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and lowing of oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. You see, Saul was told to wipe all of the Amalekites and all of their possessions off the face of the earth, to clean the earth of the tank, the virus of the sinful Amalekites, to not allow any of its spirit to remain as it was a danger. Saul did not do such a thing. He instead did his own thing. Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. But Saul said, speak on. Samuel said, when you were little you're in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? And now the Lord sent you on a mission. He said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do what is evil? It was disobedience. It was wickedness. It was an uncompromised understanding of what Saul was supposed to do. God is not unfair. He's not unjust. So what he is holding against this man was clearly understood as something he was supposed to carry out. We move on to 1 Samuel 16 and we see the result of the environment Saul had created in his heart of disobedience and wickedness and denial of understood commands. 
The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. David saw all this play out. He understood the importance of the Holy Spirit. That his victories were in the Holy Spirit. His well-being was in the Holy Spirit. And so as he did wrong, he did what he knew he was not supposed to do. It wasn't a misunderstanding. David knew you weren't supposed to murder. We had established that all the way back with Cain and Abel. David knew he wasn't supposed to lie. David knew he wasn't supposed to commit adultery. He trespassed on those things willingly, willfully. And he knew what potentially could happen because he saw it happen to Saul. And this compelled him to say, Lord, take not thy spirit from me. Lord, don't let it happen. I call out for your grace. I call out for your mercy. I acknowledge my sin. I recognize my sin against you. I have trespassed. It's not an indiscretion. It's not a happenstance that's unfortunate. I have sinned against God, knowing the difference between right and wrong. I have chosen what is wrong, and I have sinned against you, and I'm asking for your mercy. I'm asking for your grace, because I don't want to lose your presence. This is the threat against us. Do you honestly see in the scriptures where the Holy Spirit desires to dwell in the midst of your sin? Do you see in the scriptures where the Holy Spirit wants to abide in a congregation that is willfully disobeying the, the, the tenets and the commands of God? I have seen churches that are racist, flat out racist, not, not present day racism, but honest hatred towards persons of a different skin color than their own. And I've watched them try to carry themselves as Pentecostals and the distaste in my mouth was from the Holy Ghost in me, unwilling to entreat them for their wickedness. I've seen churches where gossip is rampant. I've seen churches where sin is tolerated. And in those churches, the only way that spiritual things have taken place is for them to be mockerously mockerously falsified. Where in the scriptures are we called to abide sin? Where in the scriptures are we told 
that the Lord wants to remain in a place where people are willfully disobeying him. It's not there. It's not there. You say, brother, I can't be good enough to earn the presence of God. You are absolutely right. You can't be good enough, but you can have the conditions, the environment. Man, I'm going to set you free if you'll hear me and you'll listen. It will change your life because this is for you. No, you cannot be good enough to merit the presence of the Holy Ghost. But you can offer an environment in which he will live. And that is something you can do. God desires a humble heart. He didn't ask for you to be perfect. He didn't ask for you to to get it right all the time. He knows us. He wouldn't ask something that's simply not going to take place. Instead, he says, conditionally, I want you in a position of humility. I want you in a position of contriteness, brokenness, recognition, softness. Let me work with you. We'll bring you to the place you need to be. I am happy to be in the midst of a renovation project. Verse 16 of the scriptures we started with, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise this. If we can be a people who find ourselves in a state of repentance, coming to the Lord, confessing our sins, not being proud, standing in our sins as if they are okay, as if God likes our wickedness, but being in a position where we say, God, I recognize I am a sinner. I recognize I have done wrong. I recognize I have sinned against you and you alone. And to your grace and your mercy do I entreat, do I ask, do I beg for your kindness to be bestowed upon your servant. Lord, see my humility. I'm not as good as you are. I'm not as strong as you are. I'm not as capable as you are. I need you. I'm dependent on you. I know I'm not good enough to deserve you, but I am trying to provide the conditions in which you would feel welcome. A heart that seeks to be better. A spirit that hopes to improve. A lifestyle that desires to reveal you moment by moment. And it is in that environment, friend, 
that the Holy Spirit will come and will move and will enjoy and will accomplish and will renovate, elevate, and encourage. I beg you, as an emissary from the throne of God, I beg you, investigate your spirit. Evaluate your heart. Are you proud? Or are you humble? Consider your life, friend. Have you become complacent with the things of God? Or are you careful to remain open to him? Think on these things. Do you expect the Holy Spirit to go in with you to that house of the mistress? And expect he'll be waiting for you at the door maybe? Or will you hear his voice as he tells you to skip the house altogether. I'm calling you to this on behalf of heaven. There is coming a shaking. There's coming a threshing. There's coming a day of trial. And I don't want you to be found powerless and without because you have not been told clearly the truth. If you will remain humble, if you will take on the attitude of David, say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, prepare me, walk with me, and make me more like you. You will never find yourself short on the presence of God. I want to see great things in your church. I can tell you a full altar of humble hearts will absolutely reap a divine wonder. So today, I pray you would assassinate the sin in your life. Not just apologize, but literally in the realm of the Spirit, Kill your sin. Put it to rest. Walk away from it. A lifestyle of wickedness. Put a bullet in its head and leave it behind. Moving forward into better things. Question your tolerance of wicked things. Ask the Lord, is it truly okay to watch these shows, listen to this music, read this material when it contains scenes that are obscene to you, when it contains language that you would never let pass your lips. Restore your filters as you would for a fish tank of sorts to clean and carefully monitor the water's well-being so that the Spirit 
would feel welcome. Because for us, friend, there's no greater fear, truly, than he would take his spirit from us. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the opportunity. Lord, I pray you bless this message. May it find its way into our hearts. Lord, if I have said anything adverse to you or your ways, I pray it would be swiftly corrected in the hearts of your people. Lord God, if I have appropriately and properly represented you, I pray, Lord God, it would begin to sear the spirits of every person here they would find themselves in a position of conviction, Lord God, not to make them feel bad, but for their betterment, that they would come out of this service desiring to be better. Lord God, you convict your children to see them improved, not to hurt them. I pray conviction would be freely moving in this place draw to our minds those things that are causing difficulty in our relationship to you. Draw to the mind of the leadership here anything within the body that has to be dealt with for your spirit to have its freedom. Lord God, let us not be a people who arrogantly imagine all is well, but rather let us be a people who humbly come to you and look for guidance. I appreciate you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I pray you bless this time. If you're here this morning and you are compelled to be in the altar, I celebrate you. I will be down here praying as well. Stand with me.